You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. Chapter 11. Barter Acts. Bentley remained motionless, awaiting Ellen's return to consciousness. He waited in fear and trembling. How would she react to the horrible thing he had told her? Now there was a possibility of converse between them. If she knew and realized the meaning of his revelation... Would her mind stand up under the awfulness of it? He had thought so, else he would not have taken the chance he had taken. Much now depended upon Ellen, and all he could do was wait. Slowly, she began to move. Moans escaped her lips, little pathetic moans, and the name of Lee Bentley. At last her eyes opened, and widened with horror as they met those of Manape. Bentley knew that there were tears on the face of Bentley Manape. Manape, it seemed, cried easily, like a child. Her eyes still wide with horror, Ellen Estabrook slowly turned them until she gazed at the dust rectangle in which presumably a great ape had written words in English. But Bentley Manape had rubbed out the words. She turned and looked at Manape again, and her lips writhed and twisted. She was seeking for words, shaping words, to ask questions such as none in all the world's history had ever asked of a giant anthropoid with any hope of receiving answers. You tell me you are Lee, she began slowly, hesitantly, as though the words were literally forced from her against her will. I cannot grasp the meaning of that. You say you are Lee, Yet I recognize you as Manape, Caleb Barter's great ape. Yet Manape could not have written those words. Yet, if you are Lee Bentley, who or what is that? She turned and pointed a trembling finger at Manape. Bentley, of course, could not answer her in words. Yet his mind was busy conceiving of some way in which he might answer her. She turned back to him after a long look at Ape-Man, and studied him. His huge barrel chest, the mighty arms, the receding forehead, the outward seeming of a giant ape. Again, that hesitant, horribly difficult task of forcing the arms of Man-Ape to perform actions which were not natural to the arms of a great ape. Bentley managed to raise the right arm in the gesture of pointing. He pointed at the other apes, some of which slept, some of which ate of grubs and worms, or bickered savagely among themselves over whatever childish trifles seemed important to the ape mind. "'You mean,' said Ellen huskily, "'that Lee Bentley there is really an ape?' Man-ape nodded ponderously. Ellen's face became animated, she was beginning to understand how to hold speech with Manape. You tell me he is a great ape, yet he has the body of Lee Bentley. You tell me you are Bentley, yet I see you as Manape, Caleb Barter's trained ape. How am I to understand? Are my eyes betraying me, or is this a nightmare from which I shall waken presently? I see the shape of Manape, who writes in the dust that he is Lee. How can I know? None of you, I can see, is Lee Bentley. 
What part of you that I cannot see is Lee? Again, the effort of forcing the hands of Manape to obedience. Manape Bentley tapped his receding forehead with his knuckles, and a gasp burst from the lips of Ellen Estabrook. You mean your brain is Bentley's brain, and that Bentley's body holds the brain of a great ape? Manape nodded clumsily. But how? You mean Caleb Barter? I remember about him now. A master surgeon, an expert on anesthesia, a thousand years ahead of his time. You mean, then, that we three are part of an experiment? You, Manape, have the brain of Bentley, and Bentley has the brain of a great ape? Bentley nodded. The face of Ellen Estabrook writhed and twisted. Her eyes studied the person of Manape the great ape. She could not believe the thing she had been told, yet she was thinking back and back, back to when ape-man had carried her away, his subsequent behavior, his behavior in the house of Barter, and his interest in the she-ape who had licked his wounds. She remembered how man-ape in the beginning had looked at her with the eyes of a lustful man, and how later all his attitude had been protective. There seemed evidence in plenty to support the statement Manape had mutely managed to give her. She was forced to believe. But Lee, she came closer to Manape as she spoke, we must do something for that creature there, that thing with the ape-she which looks like the man I love. You've heard me say that I love Lee Bentley. Manape nodded. Does Lee Bentley love me? Again, Manape nodded more vehemently this time. Ellen smiled. Then, quickly, she came to Manape, thrust her fingers against his skull and examined it closely. Her brows were furrowed in concentration. She left Manape and strode to Ape Man. The she growled at her, but she ignored the beast as much as possible, though plainly cognizant of the fact that she dared not touch her hands to Ape Man on pain of being torn asunder by the fighting fangs of the ape-she. Then Ellen came back. "'The evidence is there, Lee,' she said. "'There are the marks of a surgeon's instruments. Marvelous! One is almost inclined to forget the horror of it in the realization that a miracle has been performed. The operation was perfect. But what did he use for anesthesia? How did Barter manage to complete his operation and cause his two patients to feel no ill effects, to be to all intents and purposes well in mind and body, all within less than twelve hours? However, that does not matter now. Something must be done. Since Caleb Barter was the only man who could perform this unholy operation, he is the only man who could repeat it restoring each of you to your proper earthly casements. So we must play in with him. I suppose you've long since decided that way, Lee. How strange it seemed to Ellen to discuss such matters with man-ape. But behind his brutish exterior was the brain of the man whom she loved. And there is one other thing, Ellen almost whispered, and her face flushed rosily. No harm must come to the body of Lee, you understand? He must never be permitted to do anything of which Lee Bentley, of 
after years may have cause to feel ashamed. Manate nodded. He understood her, and despite the grotesquerie of the whole thing, there was something intimate and sweet about this interchange. A man and a woman loved. Just now, that love was mentioned more or less in the abstract, discussed on purely a mental basis, but both Bentley and Ellen Estabrook were thinking of the future, and were as frank with each other as they perhaps ever would be again. Now the apes began to stir themselves. It was time to be on the move again. Eyes were turned toward Manape, who was plainly intended to lead them further into the jungle. Ellen and the white body of Bentley were already being accepted as a matter of course. If the great apes wondered why their returned lord did not jabber with them in the gibberish of the great apes, there was no way of telling, for there was no way in which Manape could make himself understood, nor any way the great apes could tell their thoughts to Manape. Then, without warning, the blow fell. The storm broke, and even as the uproar started, Bentley was sure that he could sense behind it the fine hand of Caleb Barter, still working out his experiment with human beings and apes as the pawns. The apes were on the move, entering a series of aisles through the gloomy woods when the blow fell, in the shape of scores of nets, in whose folds, within a matter of seconds, the great apes were fighting and snarling helplessly. They expended their mighty strength to no avail. They fought at ropes and thongs which they did not understand, and only Manape made no effort to fight, knowing it useless. Scores of black folk, armed with spears, danced and yelled in the brush, frankly delighted at the success of their grand coup. Barter was nowhere to be seen, and there was a possibility that he knew nothing about this. Yet Bentley knew better. Perhaps, in order to stimulate the blacks, he had offered them money for great apes taken alive. Anyhow, scores of the apes were taken, and now exhausted themselves in savage bellowing and snarling as they fought for freedom. A half-dozen to each net, the blacks gathered in their captives. They made much over Ellen Estabrook. They pawed over Ape-Man, despite his snarls and bellowings, and laughed when Ape-Man played the ape as though to the manner born. They scented some mystery here, a white man raised by the apes, perhaps. But that Ellen and Ape-Man were prisoners of blacks, Bentley could plainly understand. He scarcely knew which was the more horrible for her, to be prisoner of the apes or the blacks. But for the moment there was nothing he could do. And the blacks were not torturing either Ape-Man or Ellen, though there was no mistaking what he saw in the faces of the blacks when they looked at Ellen and grinned at one another. Darkness had fallen over the world when the blacks went shouting into a village of mud-waddled huts, bearing the trophies of their ape hunt. Still in their nets for safety's sake, the great apes were thrown into a sort of stockade which had plainly just been built for their reception. Proof to Bentley that this decision to make an attack against the passing band of anthropoids had been a sudden one. What did that indicate? Someone had caused the blacks to react in a way that never would have occurred to them ordinarily. Caleb Barter? Bentley thought so. What now was Bentley supposed to do? What did Barter expect him to do? What did Barter expect Ellen to do? What did he expect Ape-Man to do? There was no question, as Bentley saw it, 
but that Caleb Barter still pulled the strings, and that before morning this jungle village was to witness a horror it should never forget. But at the moment Bentley had but one thought, to escape quietly with Ellen and Ape-Man, and return to the dwelling of Caleb Barter. Chapter 12. Jungle Justice Again, that grim concentration on the part of Bentley, forcing the unaccustomed great hands of Man-Ape to perform things they had never done before. He must release himself from the rope net which held him. For the hands of a human being, the task would have been easy. For the hands of Man-Ape, even though guided by the will of Bentley, the task was far from easy. But he persevered. An hour after the apes had been dumped in the stockade, Bentley had released himself from the rope net and was resting after the awful ordeal of forcing the hands of Man-Ape to do his bidding. He pressed himself against the uprights of the stockade and carefully tested them with his strength. The strength of Bentley would never have availed against the stout uprights of the stockade. Yet Man-Ape Bentley knew that with the arms of Man-Ape he could tear the uprights out of the ground as easily as though they had been matchsticks. What should he do now? His first impulse, of course, was to release the rest of the great apes. The brutes still fought at their bindings and were utterly insane with rage. What would they do when they were released? What was his duty where they were concerned? If they went wild through the native village, slaying and laying waste, would Bentley be responsible for loss of life? If he left the apes in the hands of the natives, what then? He would never afterward forgive himself. He knew them as children of the wilds, carefree and happy brutes of the jungle. Now, if held captives indefinitely, they would either die or spend the rest of their lives in cages. No, he would release the animals, one by one. The natives would have to take their chances. A white figure loomed out of the darkness, coming from the direction of a great bonfire, which showed all the jungle surrounding in weird crimson relief. The white figure, all but nude, was Ape-Man. Following him were several natives, who laughed and prodded Ape-Man with the butts of their spears. Bentley understood that. They thought Ape-Man a demented white man, and to these natives a demented one was a butt of jokes. They did not even suspect the horror of the possible revenge that was growing in the brain of the ape which controlled the body of Ape-Man. Twice or thrice, Ape-Man tried to dart into the jungle, but always the blacks prevented, heading him toward the cage where the apes were held prisoner. Bentley wondered where Ellen was and what was happening to her. A celebration of some sort seemed going forward in the village. Was Caleb Barter somewhere near? Perhaps at the edge of the jungle, grinning gleefully at this thing he had brought about, as part of his unholy experiment? There was no way of knowing, of course, yet. But Ape-Man reached the side of the stockade and snarled back at his annoyers, while his white hands grasped the uprights and tore at them with futile savagery. A strange situation. Inside the stockade, a score of brutes who could rip the stockade to bits. Outside, one of them free, but hampered by the puny strength of a human being. The blacks shouted to Ape-Man, but of course Bentley could not understand what they said. 
Ape-Man turned after, snarling at them for a few moments, and began to chatter in that gibberish which appeared to be Ape-Man's only mode of speech. Ape-language, on the lips of a man. This was the only time it had ever happened. The apes stirred fitfully as Ape-Man chattered, and began to renew their attacks on their bonds. The blacks, after watching Ape-Man for a few moments, turned back toward the bonfire, evidently satisfied that this strange, demented creature would not run away. Ape-Man chattered, and the apes made answer. The she who had nursed Ape-Man managed to reach the side of the stockade, and for several moments Bentley listened to the horrible grotesqueries, an ape-she and a man talking together in brutish gibberish, and with hellish intimacy. Now, wondering just how matters would work themselves out, Bentley set himself the task of releasing the apes. They would at least create a furor in the village, during which Bentley could escape into the jungle with Ape-Man and Ellen Estabrook, before the natives could reorganize themselves and give chase. His plan was hazy, and he figured without the savagery of Ape-Man, who occupied that white body which had been Bentley's. His one thought was to free the apes, set them upon the village, and escape with Ape-Man and Ellen. Just that and no more. But he did not know the great apes, nor how thoroughly they followed the lead of their lord, whom they knew as Man-Ape, though how he was named in their brains he was never to know. One by one he released the apes. They seemed to sense the necessity of stealth, for they began to ape the cautious behavior of Man-Ape. Ape-Man, outside, seemed to be advising them, telling them what to do. One by one, as Man-Ape released them, the apes squatted side by side, their red, angry little eyes watching his every move. Bentley knew, of course, what a fearful racket his own appearance would cause when he strode out of the gloom among the blacks, seeking Ellen, but he knew that surprise for a few precious moments would render the blacks incapable of stopping him until he got away. At least he hoped so. Beyond that, he had no other plan. All depended upon the behavior of the apes and the reaction of the blacks, who were holding a devil's dance about the mighty fire in the center of their village. Bentley did not even dare guess what the apes would do when they saw what man-ape Bentley did. Would they follow him, or would they race for the jungle to escape? A few minutes now would tell the tale. He had released the last of the great apes, who now lined the side of the stockade, apparently holding angry converse with ape-man. Bentley was reminded of the old-fashioned mob of pioneer days, angrily muttering, yet lacking a leader to direct their efforts. Well, he had done his duty as he saw it. From now on, things must take their course. But Bentley waited, watching the dancing figures about the fire. As far as he could tell, the dance was approaching some sort of climax. The figures leaped higher as they danced, and the noise of their shouting raced and rolled across the jungle. They appeared to be drunk, with some sort of excitement, perhaps helped by native liquor, perhaps because of superstitious frenzy. If he waited for their excitement to die down a bit, for some of them to go to sleep, his chances of releasing Ellen would be better. It would not be hard for him to find her, not with Manape's sensitive nose to lead him to her. But time passed, and the apes, though apparently being urged to something by ape-man, watched Manape sullenly, 
apparently waiting for him to make some move. Then, sharp as a knife, cutting through the other noises of the village, came Ellen's voice. Help! Lee! Help me! The scream was broken short off, as though a hand had clutched the girl's throat, but Bentley waited for no more, and Manape Bentley flew into action. His great hands went to the uprights of the stockade. His mighty shoulders heaved and twisted, and the uprights were ripped apart. The apes followed his lead, and the cracking of the stockade's uprights was like a volley of pistol shots. The great brutes fairly walked through the green saplings which formed the prison. Manape was leading the charge, and the apes, once through, did not hesitate. If their leader charged the blacks, they would follow, and did, while among them danced, cavorted, and gibbered the travesty, ape-man. He was Bentley's lieutenant, and Bentley man-ape was the lord of the apes. Just now, he forgot that he was more ape than man. Just now, he was happy that his strength was the strength of many men. He was hurrying to the assistance of the woman he loved. Behind him came the great apes, following like an army of poorly trained recruits, yet armed as no army has ever been armed since the days when men fought with fist and fang against their enemies. Bentley lumbered swiftly toward the sound of Ellen's voice, aided in his journey by the odor of her which came to his sensitive ape's nostrils. The blacks never saw the approach of the apes, until, led by man-ape the mighty, the great apes were right among them. Bentley did not pause. A black man saw him, and shrieked aloud in terror, a shriek which seemed to freeze the other blacks in all sorts of postures. Sitting men remained where they sat, and some of the motionless ones saved their lives by their immobility. Dancers paused in mid-stride, and those who did not died. For the hands of the great apes clutched at everything that moved, and the great shoulders bulged, and the mighty muscles cracked, and men were torn asunder, as though they had been flies in the hands of vengeful boys. The black who had shrieked hurled a spear, purely a reflex, perhaps, an action born of its habitual use. It missed Bentley by a narrow margin, but passed through the stomach of the she who had nursed ape-man. Snarling, snapping at the thing which hurt her, the she tore the weapon free, then waddled forward swiftly, caught the man who had hurled the spear, and tore his head off with a single, twisting movement of her great hands. Next moment, her blood was mingling with that of her slayer as she fell above him. But her hands, in the convulsions of death, still ripped and tore, and the black whom she held was a ghastly thing when the she was finally dead. Bentley did not see the ghastly end of the spearman, for he was seeking Ellen, and at the same time, keeping a close watch on Ape-Man. Ape-Man seemed to be urging the apes to the attack, bidding them rip and tear and gnash, and the apes were doing that, making of the village a crimson shambles. But they did it in passing, for Man-Ape was their leader, and him they followed, and he was seeking Ellen Estabrook. The door of the hut in which his nostrils told him she would be found gave before his mighty chest as though it had been made of paper, Inside, in the glow of the native lamp, a huge black man cowered against the further wall of the hut, with spear poised. But the black man seemed frozen with terror. Lee! Lee! 
Bentley essayed one glance at her. In the other corner she was, with the upper part of her clothing almost torn from her body. Then the spearman hurled his weapon. Bentley strove to force the huge bulk of Manape's body to dodge the spear, but that body was slow in doing so, and took a mortal wound. But it was a wound that would mean slow death, an aching, terrible wound. Then Manape Bentley had grasped the body of the black, lifted it high above his head, and crashed it to the hard-packed floor of the hut. The hut fairly shook with the thud of that fall. At once Manape stood, caught the black by the ankles, and pulled in opposite directions with all his terrific might. Then he whirled, masking what he had done from Ellen's sight with his huge, sorely wounded body. He tried to send a message with his eyes, but it was not necessary. She knew Manape, Barter's trained ape. She followed close at his heels. Outside the hut's door, ape-man still urged the apes to destruction of men and property, of women and children. The village of the blacks had become a place of horror. "'Hurry, Lee,' gasped Ellen. "'You've been grievously wounded, and if man-ape dies, nothing can save you, and I shall not care to live.' But Bentley knew. His brain could sense the approach of death, and what he now must do was very plain." He charged at ape-man and caught the struggling, snarling travesty up in his mighty arms. Then, with Ellen at his heels, he leaped into the jungle and began the race for the house of Caleb Barter. Life was going from him, yet his brain forced onward the body of man-ape. Behind came the great apes, following their leader. Now and again they screamed and snarled at him, but he paid them no heed. They could follow or leave him as they chose they chose to follow. Ape-man fought and bit at Bentley, but he paid him as little heed as though he had been nothing at all. Now and again, when Ellen faltered, Bentley caught her up too and carried her with Ape-man until Ellen was rested enough to go on. Some of the apes appeared to realize whither they were going, for they took to the trees and vanished onward. With Ape-man alone, Bentley himself would have taken to the trees as the swiftest way back to Barter's dwelling. But Ellen could not race along the upper terraces, and Bentley could not carry both Ape-Man and Ellen and leave the ground. But he could travel swiftly on his race with death, with Ellen as the prize if he won. The hours passed, and the strength of Man-Ape decreased, but fiercely the brain of Bentley drove the mighty body on. Ellen sobbed with weariness but continued on, and no words were spoken. There was no time for words. Now and again, Bentley forced Ape-Man to walk, and dragged him forward with a hand clutching his wrist. At such times, Bentley carried Ellen, and scarcely slackened his stride under her weight. Once, he tried to force Ape-Man to carry her, but the arms of Ape-Man were not equal to the task for more than fifty yards or so, and he gave that up as being impracticable. His brain raced, thinking up ways to travel faster, to reach Barter's quarters before the mighty body of Man-Ape should die, and with it the brain of Bentley. Surely no stranger cavalcade ever before traversed the jungles of the Black Continent. So they came at last to the clearing. The apes protested and remained in hiding, while Bentley, never pausing, raced across toward the house he would never forget. 
The body of Manape was almost through, for it staggered like a drunken man. Blood covered the mighty chest, and the brain of Bentley felt hazy. Nothing made sense, and the end was very near. But they reached the door of Barter's dwelling, and Barter himself met them, bearing his cruel whip in his hand. Ellen roused herself from her extreme exhaustion and clutched the scientist's hand. "'Professor Barter!' she begged. "'Please, please! Manape is almost dead. Hurry, hurry, for the love of God!' "'There, there, my dear young lady,' said Barter soothingly. "'Make yourself easy. There's no cause for worry.' Manape Bentley toppled forward on the floor of the cabin. Ellen screamed, and Barter comforted her. Ape-Man tried to escape to the jungle, but the lash of Barter drove him cowering and whimpering to a corner. Then oblivion. Save that somewhere was the odor of violets. Or did violets possess odor? Then, if not, the odor of flowers he thought were violets. Chapter 13 The Horror Passes Slowly, Consciousness returned to Bentley, and his first thought was one of horror. From somewhere distinct came a doleful wailing sound. He thought he knew what it was, the mourning of great apes over a member that had died. He had read somewhere that the great apes sorrowed when any of their members died. Bentley opened his eyes. He could make out the ceiling of a room that he recognized. It was the room that had been first assigned him in the dwelling of Barter. Ellen Estabrook would be somewhere nearby. He opened his lips to call to her. Then he remembered. He tried to call to her before, and had merely bellowed like an ape. No, there was something he must know first. His arms and hands seemed as heavy as lead, but he lifted them and looked at them, and a great feeling of peace descended upon him. Man-ape Bentley was gone and he was plain Lee Bentley again. There was his own ring, which Ape-Man had worn, and besides, he had just spoken aloud, softly, for no ear save his own, and the voice had been Lee Bentley's voice. Yes, Barter had kept his promise, and Lee Bentley was Lee Bentley again. But he was very weak, and his body was racked with pain. His hands and arms were covered with bandages. His body seemed packed in concrete, so moveless was it. And when he raised his voice, it was terribly weak. Ellen, he managed to call. And again, Ellen, darling. Instantly, there came a swift patter of feet, and Ellen was beside his bed, on her knees, covering his face, what there was of it unbandaged with kisses. There was really no need for words between these two. Lee, she whispered, I've been so afraid. You've been like this for a week, despite the miraculous knowledge and skill of Professor Barter. I've waited in fear and trembling, praying for you to live, and now you are Lee again, and will live on. Professor Barter has promised me. All you need now is food and care and I shall shower you with both. Barter has instructed me so carefully that I could manage even to care for you, sick as you are, without him here at all. And Manate? 
Bentley's voice seemed to be stronger. "'He is dead,' whispered Ellen. "'I shall never forget him. "'There was something great, "'something even better than human about him, Lee. "'Oh, I know that he was you. "'But where would all three of us have been "'had it not been for the powerful body of Manape, "'the great ape? "'Manape is dead, "'and in the jungles hereabouts "'the great apes mourn his passing.' They've been wailing almost like human beings for a week. Manape, well, Professor Barter told me that you two would have died had Manape reached his door five minutes later. As it was, he and you were just in time. It's amazing, whispered Bentley, that the great apes stay around here now that Manape is dead. Yes, it's strange and terrible, I think. There have been times when I felt they were waiting for something, for Professor Barter, perhaps. I've had the feeling they believe he killed their leader. Now the two became silent, and Ellen held the bruised and broken hands of Bentley in her own, and their eyes said things, one to the other, which eyes say so much better than lips do. They kissed each other softly, and Ellen crooned with ecstasy, her cheek against Bentley's. Then Caleb Barter entered. "'Well, well,' he said. "'When a man is in a condition to make love to a woman, "'he is well on the road to recovery. "'It won't hurt you to talk now, Bentley. "'And before I begin asking questions, "'let me assure you that you will suffer no ill effects from your experience.' "'What of my memories?' asked Bentley softly. "'Forget them!' "'snapped Barter tartly. "'That is, after you have told me everything that has happened. "'Miss Estabrook has already told me her angle of the experiment. "'Now, talk, please, and then I shall make you well, "'and you shall both go into the world with me "'and tell people that what I have to tell is true.' "'So Bentley talked. "'Barter wrote like a man possessed.' His fingers raced over the paper, repeating the words which fell from the lips of Lee Bentley, beside whom Ellen sat, holding his hands. Now and again, Barter uttered an ejaculation of fierce joy. He was like a child with a toy that had pleased him beyond words. He could scarcely wait for the words to spill from the lips of Lee Bentley. When Bentley paused for breath, Barter exclaimed impatiently and urged him to greater speed. He thought of but one thing, his experiment. And so at last Bentley had finished. "'That's all, Professor Barter,' he said softly. "'All!' cried Barter. "'Everything! Fame! Wealth! Adulation! "'There is nothing in the world Caleb Barter may not have when this story is told. "'I can scarcely contain myself.' You must hurry to be well in order that the world may be told at once. Laughing immoderately, Barter piled the manuscript he had written and weighted it with a piece of rock. His face was a constant grin. His fingers trembled with eagerness. He could not contain himself. Finally, as though from sheer joy of what he had accomplished, he raced from the cabin and out across the clearing. Ellen and Bentley smiled at each other. Moments passed. Still came to their ears the mourning wails of the great apes. 
Then, suddenly, there broke a sound so utterly appalling that the two were frozen with terror for a moment. First, it was the laughter of Caleb Barter. Then, mingled with the laughter, the bellowing, frightful and paralyzing, of man-apes challenging a hated enemy, the drumming of ape fists on huge barrel chests, then the laughter of Barter, dying away, ironic, terrible, into silence. Immediately afterward, high-pitched, mighty as the jungle itself, the concerted cries of half a dozen apes, as if bellowing their joy of the kill. They, they, began Ellen in a choked voice. The apes must have got Professor Barter. Silently, Bentley nodded and pointed. Coiled on a nail near the door was Barter's whip. In his excitement, he had gone into the jungle without it for the first and last time. There is one thing to do, whispered Ellen, before we prepare to get you fully well. I shall care for you, and we shall both try to forget, and then we shall return to our own people. And the one thing? asked Bentley. The strained silence was suddenly broken by the bellowing of the great apes, which now charged into the cabin. Bentley and Ellen cringed back from the murderous brutes to no avail. There was no denying them. Their slavering jaws drooled below flaring nostrils. Their eyes emitted sparks of animal fury. Bentley leaped to the girl and interposed his body between hers and the vanguard of the apes, who now were surging into the room through the open door and spreading apart within like water released from a dam. The apes were bent on murder. There could be no doubt. A very monster towered over Bentley. His jaws were wide, his little red eyes fixed on the white man's neck. His great arms were coming forward to gather in both Ellen and Bentley, whom he could crush as easily as he crushed the grubs which were his food. Bentley was helpless and knew it. This was the end for Ellen and himself. He must meet it unafraid. He tensed, awaiting the descent of bestial destruction. His eyes met the murderous gleam in the eyes of the ape leader unflinchingly. And then the miracle happened. The brute became suddenly and inexplicably hesitant. His bellow died away to a gurgling murmur in which there seemed somehow a hint of apology. The fire went out of his eyes. His jaws closed with a snap. His great arms, already about Bentley, slid harmlessly over Bentley's shoulders, dropped to his shaggy side. The brute's little eyes looked long and in puzzled fashion into the eyes of Bentley. Then he began to chatter, and in a moment the other apes ambled grotesquely toward the door and out. Ellen and Bentley were alone together once more, unharmed, though numbed by realization of the near passing of disaster. "'I don't understand it,' muttered Bentley, brushing the beads of perspiration from his brow. "'It was a miracle.' "'Lee,' Ellen answered, "'I think I know, and it is a sort of miracle. Somehow the apes felt that you were, whatever your guise, man-ape. They did not recognize you by any of their means of recognition.' Yet that beast knew. How? Only God himself might answer. But the beasts knew and did not slay us. 
the inner voice which whispers inside us in times of crises, whispers also to the great apes. Barter, then, must have understood their somehow spiritual kinship with us. His experiments... Her words reminded Bentley of what she had been saying when the great apes had charged in upon them, murder-bent. He interrupted her, gently. And the one thing we must do? He rallied her. Ellen rose, and her face was white and strained as she gathered together Barter's manuscript. This she carried to the fireplace. She applied a match and returned to Bentley's bedside. Then, side by side, the two who would never forget, in any case, watched the record of Barter's unholy experiment burn slowly to ashes, while the screams of the great apes died away second by second, proof that they were leaving this section of the jungle, going deeper and deeper into the forest gloom, which was their rightful heritage, and from which no man had a right to take them. End of section. End of Man Ape the Mighty.